0: This is the Talking DT Podcast, Episode 3. Welcome to the Talking DT Podcast with me, Alison Hardy, a podcast for anybody interested in design and technology education, where I'll be sharing news, views, ideas, and opinions about DT. In this episode of Talking DT, I'm with Nikki Blom, who is a university lecturer at the University of Pretoria and is involved in design and technology education. We met online. So this is our first face-to-face conversation because we're talking via Skype. You'll be able to see the pictures, but that's how we're doing this. And we met online via Twitter. First of all, Nikki, welcome. Good to meet you.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, It's nice to meet you too.
0: It would be really nice to hear um, a little bit about your life in design and technology.
1: I've been um, in, uh, started teaching training the year 2005, Uh, since then uh, completed my B.Ed specializing in technology and uh, went on to teach for two years um, in technology and after that started as a university lecturer training teachers in technology Uh, and I've been doing this for eight years now.
0: So same same amount of time as me because I started in 2010 at Nottingham Trent. Okay, so yeah, and you've also just submitted your PhD, which is brilliant news.
1: Yes, yes, I'm so um, uh, delighted and glad that that a journey has almost ended now um, and looking forward to starting an academic career in technology and research.
0: So what what's your PhD about?
1: So, um, my, uh, I have a, a focus on cognition in technology, but uh, and as you know, that um, the primary means of thinking about cognition is that it only resides in the mind of learners. And in technology, um, the cognition is so much dependent on what learners say, what they do, what they touch, what they see, and who they speak to. So um, I, my main focus was on understanding what are the cognitive mechanisms, both external and internal, that drives idea generation and um, how this influences also how they understand their design problems. Um, and to investigate this, I used a method from architectural education um, called linkography, That was developed by Gabriella Goldschmidt and what this is, is uh, first of all, a visual representation of thought processes. So um, by studying what the learners say and what they do, you can try to, but not always individuate, individual thoughts and how these individual thoughts uh, weave into each other to form design ideas. So I use that methodology to to study how groups of learners um, basically design and solve technological problems.
0: And so what were your key findings then? What, can you give us some sort of bits that we can think about for our teaching of design and technology?
1: So um, in South Africa, um, the, the concept of creativity is... Uh, sometimes misrepresented. Um, usually teachers will say that kid is creative when they use a purple marker marker to color in something. So um, teaching teachers about the nature of creativity that, um, you know, it's not usually just a, a novel idea that pops up into a head, but um, creativity uh, f- Um, originates when learners interact just with known things and, and, um, sometimes, um, this interactions leads to, uh, you know, novel ideas. Um, so, um, I just saw that, uh, kids usually use a lot more external Uh, information, like in pictures, in physical objects, in their drawings, in their modeling, uh, to generate ideas with limited interactions with scientific and mathematic knowledge. Um, Because I specifically looked um, at how they use STEM knowledge in in their designs, and especially in the early phases, and saw that this was actually very limited.
0: Why do you think they weren't using
1: it very much? the, the one thing um, that I saw, and this comes from uh, Case Tables and Richard Kimball's book, is that during the early phases, um, learners do not really have a working knowledge um, of products. So these early phases are actually when they start to explore um, you know, what scientific uh, principles might be embodied in the um, product. And maybe only during the later phases. My study was only on the early phases. They might use it more definitively.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. So it's kind of like they they grow into it almost as yes. as they become more secure in their understanding of the product and they start yes. to inquire more about its function and yeah, existence, if that makes sense.
1: Yes, yes, uh, the physical and the functional nature, Um, whereas I saw a lot that they used uh, technological knowledge during the early phases, um, especially in understanding the context of the problem and also uh, using functional properties to generate ideas.
0: So when you talk about technological knowledge, how how do you describe that or define that then?
1: So, um, I used, uh, um, frameworks that were developed by, um, Mark DeFries and, um, to speak about conceptual knowledge, procedural knowledge, um, Robert McCormick also wrote about it, um, situational knowledge, um, so knowledge and visualization knowledge. Um, uh, so that those categories I got from, from, uh, the literature to uh, conceptualize knowledge.
0: Yeah, I, I I drew on Mark's work and, um, and I forget what the other one was that you, you talked about, but yeah, situational knowledge in, in my thesis, because knowledge is explored in many different ways and we can be, end up being quite limited, can't we, and think it's just about facts and, yes. and, and knowing stuff or knowing how to do a process. But actually, it's quite complex. It's much more complex than that, you know. Yes. Um, yeah.
1: And especially... Um, I, i think you know all the all the sources on technological say, t- technological knowledge says that t- uh, technological knowledge is multidisciplinary so just to bound it into one box um you know this is uh, is very limiting so um but i think uh, the reason why i focused a lot on the stem knowledge was um in south africa we follow a predominantly um, applied science curriculum so, a lot um, in the beginning part of the of a term, uh, the kids will use a lot of scientific knowledge, scientific principles, um, do resource tasks about that, and then only have two weeks to design and make a model to illustrate the scientific principle All right
0: okay, so can you give an example of a of a project or a task that the children might do
1: so in grade seven, they will um, Make a model of uh, jaws of life, a rescue system where they would use syringes um, to to demonstrate mechanical advantage to cut through um, you know metal, or they would um, make um, uh, a mining headgear um, that uh, and demonstrate the pulley system of how a mine shaft works um, They will build models of bridges as projects um
0: so it's much more that they're doing a visual representation and modeling a known concept or a known technological product is that right
1: yes yes so so um the the focus in our curriculum is although they they say um, it teaches learners to develop practical solutions to everyday problems a lot of the the projects or tasks or capability tasks that are suggested for children are actually just to make models of real world, um, uh, artifacts.
0: Right. So then you said that they have two weeks to then do some design work. So what are they then designing? If all they've been doing, not all they've been doing, but if they've been copying existing products, what do they get to design?
1: So, so, um, I think, uh, to, to expand this, I first, Need to take you through the history of the South African curriculum. Um, so, so, in 1998, um, we, we, we implemented technology education for the first time. So, and then it was much um, uh, based on British models of DT, where broad outcomes were given and teachers had to plan, plan their own um, lessons according to the outcomes given. In 2011, the whole curriculum changed and basically 180 degrees, um, where we gave teachers or the government gave teachers very prescribed lessons um, that said exactly what to teach, when to teach, and not so much how to teach it. And um, I think this was because there was so much differences in what happened in well-resourced schools and very low-resourced schools. So they wanted to get everyone on the same basis. But in doing that, they prescribed um, a lot of, like I say, applied science type of tasks where the majority of the term... Uh, which is usually about 10 weeks, is taken up by understanding concepts like recycling or um, um, structures, yeah, structures of mechanical systems, and they do little, I think you call it resource tasks.
0: Yeah, that was a, that was from the Nuffield project was very much uh, that. Yeah, or well, focus practical tasks was another way, yes. you to, or focus tasks.
1: Yes, so, so, so the learners are taken through a, a, a few focus tasks and with, um, a few case studies perhaps. And then they have, um, practical assessment tasks or what you would, um, what would lead to a capability task. And in that, they will start to, um, just make a more complex model of, um, what, what, um, what they already did.
0: Right. Okay. So the so the design opportunity is quite limited.
1: In some, in some terms, it is very limited. It, 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 I wouldn't classify it as much as design. Right. Okay.
0: Okay. But are there some, some schools where there is more design or more design opportunity?
1: Yes, there are definitely um, some schools, but most of them are private schools um, that, 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 uh, take a different stance on, uh, and usually their subject is, isn't called technology, but it is called design and technology. So, and usually in these schools, um, the teachers would come from a design background, either product design, architectural jewelry, uh, textiles. Um, and they would, they would do different, um, design curriculum, but the majority of the schools, um, Take take the the government's curriculum, and it is also compulsory for for most children from the ages of thirteen to sixteen.
0: So there's a, there's a logic there, isn't there? Because it's about equity and equity of access. Yeah. Access, but as yeah. you say, maybe maybe what has been decided that the children have access to is quite limited.
1: Very, very, and um, I think it is it is also because. Um, Uh, The schools are not funded for technology education um, widely, so the materials that the children work with um, wouldn't be like wood or metal, it will all be um, recyclable materials. So it would be to use um, easily accessible um, like old cooling bottles, uh, cardboard, um, things that people throw away that kids can have access to because most most the majority of the schools do not have tools or materials that are supplied to children, so the curriculum was written um I think for this type of shoestring approach
0: yeah which which you can which you can understand if you're thinking about as you, as we said you know that equality um So I presume that's had a knock on effect with what you're doing at the university around teacher education in technology.
1: Um, in some ways it has, um, in our methodology classes, we, 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 um, teach learners or we teach students how to, um, teach in classes, but in the peer technology classes, we, um, do not, uh, we do design projects, like we we give them real world problems, and they would have to come with solutions. So to teach them how to think, and um, what to do, and, um, you know, to understand the process of designing.
0: Right, okay. And how do they respond to that? Because they've, they've come through an education system, I suppose, where they haven't had that, and then they're coming to the university, and you're introducing them to this different way of thinking and and about the idea about design and developing their design thinking in their designly nature so how do they respond?
1: So I love this process because um the one of the first classes that they that they have you you ask them about their perceptions of technology and usually you would hear ah oh, no, you know It was an off period at school our teacher didn't do much or you know what our teacher wasn't qualified so so initially they think it's an easy subject that you know requires not a lot of interaction or engagement and then um what I love about technology is how the problem that they are trying to design for, the the opportunity that they get, engulfs them and how it changes their way of thinking in, you know, uh, trying to, to reach a goal that would satisfy that situation. So um, we usually give them um, problems uh, to design for people with disabilities. Um, at the university. So, um, in one of my year projects, people designed a, cane, a walking cane for a blind student that would walk into uh, unauthorized parked cars. So they designed a cane with an Arduino system that would pick up objects, um, on the path that is much cheaper than, you know, um, the products for blind people, um, we, um, so, so they develop, um, real world projects that can actually contribute to society.
0: And, and they enjoyed it?
1: They love it. They loved it. And, um, it's, it's, it's obviously very difficult and they would always, always complain about its, um, hard work. But I think in the end, the satisfaction of changing lives, changing situations, um, definitely, shows them they experience the value of how um this develops children holistically
0: yeah and how powerful it is you know in terms yes. of not just powerful for yourself but also powerful for society potentially isn't it
1: yes yes and 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 all the when they look back at their processes to see what they've actually learned
0: yeah yeah but it, it, and, it is hard i think people underestimate how Thinking like that, thinking creatively, trying to resolve different problems is is really hard and it should make your brain hurt. And in some ways it should not make your body hurt, but because you're combining your thinking in your head with your action through your hands and that visualization of your ideas, it it will be hard because you're trying to break into new areas that you've not discovered before.
1: Yes, and also dealing with the uncertainty. Like knowing that you have this problem, you don't really know what are the requirements to solve the problem and then dealing with, okay, but how do I go about figuring it out? And how do I create something new that, um, you know, that I, because, um, you know, just buying something that would solve a problem that wouldn't be creative problem solving. So how do I create something significant for a context that hasn't been created before? Right.
0: Yeah. Exciting. So, do you think because you're doing that at the university, do you think that will start to have an impact on what's happening in schools? Will that then have an impact on the nature of the curriculum for technology?
1: Um, it is It is my hope that that the teachers that, that do get trained um, with real-world problem solving would have an impact on their students. But at this stage, unfortunately, uh, technology is also... Uh, uh, not a popular subject in South Africa. Um, for the past few years, we ended up with with about between six to twelve teachers a year graduating as technology teachers at a university. So, um, and South Africa is known for having a lot of technology teachers that were not trained. Um, in technology, so it would usually be your your teachers teaching life skills or life orientation or um, you know old home economics teachers. Um, so so there's still a very large gap in in teachers that can um, you know teach learners to think designerly. Yeah, yeah, but
0: I suppose it's it's softly, softly, isn't it? You, um, it's better to start with some. And, and roll that out, so I suppose the, yes. the, the ambition is for you then is to kind of keep that network of these new teachers going and, and build that up and help them grow and influence what's happening in the classroom
1: yes yes and I think what 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 we always underestimate is we um, we train teachers to to to, you know, um, more based on the British model, but then when they get to schools, a lot of them deal with the shock of, um, not, you know, how do I, how do I teach a large group of 30 learners now, um, you know, with, with limited resources, with limited tools, with limited materials and limited time to actually, um, you know, think using, um, and design.
0: Yeah. But I suppose, The challenge then is, from you to them, is you are becoming design and technology teachers. And as part of that, you have been creative in solving real-world problems. You're going into a cross-classroom and you're faced with this real-world problem. Large Mm -hmm. class sizes, limited resources. Put your creativity hats on and think creatively about how you can do this. I suppose that's the challenge, isn't it? Make that into a real-world problem and solve it.
1: Yes, exactly, exactly, because in a, in essence it's an instructional design problem as well. So how do how do I um you know create a curriculum that will foster these skills that I've been taught about?
0: Yeah, based based on the limited resources that I've got. Because I suppose they yeah. can't they can't change that. There's going to be no necessarily extra funding coming in to the schools. So they have to think well I've got to work with what I've got.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it is, it is, it is, it is when we go on teacher crits, when we go evaluate their, their, um, it's always inspiring to see how some of these teachers, um, do that problem solving for themselves and create lessons that are truly amazing and the learners love.
0: That's great. That's great to hear. That's great. So back to you and, and you finish your PhD. I know that next week you're off to the PAC conference in Malta.
1: What what are you yes. have, what are you presenting next week? So um uh last year at Pat um I started networking with uh, a researcher, Alice Schut um from the Netherlands, um who's also um investigating how t- children think and creative thinking during designing. So we've actually pulled our data together. And we are going to present a paper on the nature of learners' convergent thinking because we see a lot about idea generation and you know how uh, methods and strategies for generating ideas. But what is very limited in literature is actually okay. So when ideas have been generated, how do learners follow up on those ideas, and how do they uh, bring their ideas together? So um, we are going to have a look at that and also recommend that research should be um, start move perhaps a bit from the, you know, the fun idea generation, but looking at the processes afterwards.
0: Yeah, because that, that's the reality, isn't it? We, we can generate and generate, but at some point we have to narrow it down and get and yeah. to a, a resolution of yeah. who's the best fit. Because it's always going to be a compromise, whatever way they go. Um, yes yeah really interesting so you then is your paper published or are you is it on your research gate site or
1: so this is this is a new one uh that we we are developing um together um and we will we will see what the future avenues hold for publication and see if it because um it's it's difficult to, to to pull together data from two studies that were done in different contexts and different um, areas. And I think in order to make a contribution, we we will have to do another um, you know data collection to see how might a tool improve this convergent thinking um, practices of learners.
0: So, so you at Pat next week. Coming back, hopefully, then be coming back as Dr. Nikki, Dr. Nikki Boone. Oh, that would be brilliant. We'll <laughs> <One old laughs> all cheer. If you're gonna celebrate <laughs> loud and clear on Twitter, that would be that'll be fantastic. Um, and yeah, and when your paper from Pat is available, then let me know and I'll I'll put out a link and I'll add it to the show notes because that'll be great to to get teachers reading reading that research. Cause I think that is really important and I think you've you've found a, a brilliant gap in the in the research for design and technology. So thank you very much. That's been really fascinating. It's been lovely to hear about your work and about what happens in teacher education in um, Pretoria and about technology education in South Africa as well. So hopefully we'll catch up again soon and I'll hear about the next part of your research.
1: It will be great. Thanks so much. Thanks, Nikki. Bye.
0: You've been listening to the Talking D&T podcast with me, Alison Hardy. You can connect with me on Twitter at Hardy underscore Alison. Show notes and transcripts for each podcast episode can be found on my website, alisonhardy.work. Thanks for listening.